Hey, hey, I've got a fascinating conversation coming up for you in just a few minutes. A little background info before we dive right in. For those who may not have followed this whole thing closely online, this episode I'm joined by Christian Picciolini, former neo-Nazi who recently did a live show with Sam Harris, an anti-racist activist and a member of the intellectual dark web. Well, that turned out as well as you'd expect. I mean, Christian said some stuff that isn't surprising at all to hear from someone who works from experience to combat far-right hateful ideologies, and that seems to have predictably pissed off a lot of Sam's audience and gotten a concerning reaction from Sam, too. During the live episode, Christian warned about Stefan Molyneux and the dangerous stuff he's been spreading, you know, like racism, towing the line to Holocaust denial, etc., Don't even get me started on the pedantic defenses from Sam fans. I heard one guy actually say that Molyneux may be a Holocaust apologist, but he's not a Holocaust denier. I mean, come on. And this is the same Stefan who was promoted as the finest podcaster for reason by another ultra-rational man of this scene, who runs Skeptic Magazine, of all things, Michael Shermer. I mean, imagine the Stefan that's pretty openly racist and misogynistic for all to see on YouTube. That guy is being covered for, promoted, and normalized in various ways by members of this so-called rational skeptic movement. So... Christian's what I consider to be pretty non-controversial comments, especially as he stressed that Molly toes a line to denial may not actually overtly cross it, resulted in some really odd actions taken by free speech advocate Sam. After the audio was put up, Sam was, I believe, contacted by Molyneux, claiming whatever was said about him was untrue. I mean, what extremist bigot wouldn't insist he was being wrongfully labeled one? I don't know if he actually threatened to take legal action, but this caused Sam to cut out chunks of what Christian had said in the live show. Even though Christian talked to Sam about it and sent links to back up what he said, Sam still went ahead and cut out important parts of what his guest said without his guest's consent. Now, it's not as if people haven't exaggerated or spoken untruths on Sam's show before. I mean, he has posh anti-immigrant Douglas Murray to fearmonger about Muslims and immigrants on repeatedly. And many have objected to what Douglas has said, but Sam has never felt the need to cut out or moderate what Doug says. He's had on Jordan Peterson to spout a load of nonsense. And Sam has on multiple occasions said he agrees with much of what Peterson says. So this struck me as yet another time where Sam was operating on a double standard. I mean, if he truly objected to what his guest said, and upon reflection or upon being contacted or threatened by someone like Molyneux, I think he could have left the recording intact and just added an intro saying that those views didn't reflect his. Nope. But instead, he had to scrub bits entirely, including some of the things he himself said about Molyneux in that recording. Just odd. Now, I've been following Christian with keen interest, and when I saw he was doing a show with Sam, I was genuinely disappointed because I've seen plenty of ex-extremists get seduced by that intellectual dark web route, because it's profitable, it's fashionable, it's hip, and easier to defend the status quo than 
minorities, especially right now. But I was pleasantly surprised to see that Christian was having none of it, and it didn't take long for him to see through it. I mean, right now, race IQ crap is being normalized as the far right rises, in large part thanks to people like Sam, who insist they aren't at all interested in this conversation, yet they keep pushing it. And you know, for a long time, I was a fan of Sam's. I had him on my show. I truly, truly didn't want to believe the things his critics said about him. I have defended him. I have given him the benefit of doubt for years. I've reached out to him, written him an open letter, and talked to him personally. I've challenged him on his blind spots and associations before, but it just keeps getting worse. Once you see the bigger picture over several years and see his patterns and priorities, you can't unsee it. And if you call him on it, Sam undoubtedly claims he didn't know enough about the person he was signal boosting or getting offended on behalf of, like, when he announced, supposedly without knowing too much about white nationalist identitarian Lauren Southern, framing her as a mere conservative journalist for his massive audience that he'd be quitting Patreon because they banned her. Or like the multiple times he signal boosted extremist Tommy Robinson, even recently retweeting the same article defending him when he broke the law, retweeting it twice. And just today I came across an absolutely vile article from Quillette, which he funds on Patreon, that could have easily been written by any extremist Wahhabist on so-called toxic femininity. You won't believe who retweeted that. Let me just read you a couple quotes. When women doll themselves up in clothes that highlight sexually selected anatomy and put on makeup that hints at impending orgasm, it is toxic. Yes, toxic, to demand that men do not look, do not approach, do not query. Creating hunger in men by actively inviting the male gaze, then demanding that men have no such hunger. That is toxic femininity. Subjugating men, emasculating them when they display strength, physical, intellectual, or other. That is toxic. I mean, this is some heavy MRA shit he's promoting to his audience here. Up against the backdrop of all his Me Too has gone too far stuff, this is not a good look. No wonder he's defensive about Demore. No wonder he says he agrees with a lot of what Peterson says. Ironically, this group used to talk about the regressiveness of others. Now, they've become as regressive, if not more, than the ones they hate. Anyway, I think you get the picture. Sam has either been drifting further and further right over the past couple of years, or it's just harder for people of that ideology to hide their softer rationalizations of bigotry and sexism in this climate. Now, I know many of you will ask, so let me say up front, I'd be happy to chat with Sam again, but as we've seen, he doesn't handle criticism very well. He's welcome to come on any time, but it's unlikely he'd want to, so it's not really in my hands. Last thing before we go, I want to thank all my patrons again for keeping this show going. It really has been a struggle for me to keep it up lately. If you enjoy it, please consider supporting via Patreon because it is entirely funded by listeners like you and I've got none of that intellectual dark web money coming in. As a freelance designer, the show takes up a lot of my time so it gets harder to keep it going on minimal funding. 
I know there are thousands of you who listen, but only a small, small fraction of that actually do anything to support the show, so please help with that if you can. Anyway, enough of that. Now, the episode. Make sure that uh, that program doesn't contain controversial subjects and uh, you're not impolite to people. No, definitely not, Dad. You know me. I'm never, <laughs> ever controversial or yeah, impolite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Welcome to Conversations with your lovable, never pisses anyone off, ex-Muslim host, Ina. Keeping it non-controversial. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 48 with ex-skinhead, former neo-Nazi, Christian Picciolini, founder of Life After Hate, an organization that helps people leave hate groups. Hi, Christian. Hi, Ina. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for coming on. I know we had a bit of an issue scheduling and rescheduling, but I'm glad we made this happen. Likewise. Thanks. Yeah. So, you know, I've been following you uh, for quite a while, I have to say, and it's been very interesting watching your interviews. And uh, I, I have to admit, though, when I saw that you were doing an event with Sam Harris, my heart kind of went, oh, like, you know, like, because I've seen other ex-extremists go in that direction. It doesn't, it doesn't help, to be honest. And it's, it's hard to describe. That whole intellectual dark web circle is like um, rationalization of a lot of strange right-wing, sometimes far-right, alt-lightish talking mm-hmm. points. So, I mean, I've seen a lot of ex-Muslim, ex-extremists go down that route, and it's just like trading one form of extremism for another. Sure. Yeah, i got to be honest with you, Ina. You know, uh, when I was asked to do the Sam Harris show, uh, I had, in all honesty, had never heard of the show. I'd never heard of Sam, and I recognize he was quite popular, but... Uh, I just had never heard of it. So, you know, maybe it was uh, a lack of research on my part, but I, I actually am really glad that I went on the show because I think live, um, you know, I was different than most of the folks that, that you know, now that I've gone back and heard on the podcast. Um, oh, yeah. You know, oh, yeah. I was pretty, I, I was very honest about, uh, <laughs> you know, certain aspects of, of the far right movement. And, uh, you know, frankly, I was censored for it. And, uh, you know, because of association with Sam, uh, and, you know, to be honest, honest as well. I mean, I had dinner with Sam. I spent several hours with him. I really thought he was a very pleasant guy. He's very bright. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's, he's got his quirks as we all do, but, uh, you know, I was really pretty disappointed, uh, when after he had posted our full, uh, live podcast, he had actually gone back and censored it, uh, and taken out some parts where I'd made some claims that I stand behind, uh, about certain individuals that, you know, have ties to the alt-right who, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, in certain cases are, are preaching things like scientific racism and, uh, who are very good. And, and like I said, live are very good at towing the line at coming mm-hmm. very close to the line, but knowing how to to, to guard their words so they don't cross it uh, so that it's considered illegal in certain places like mm-hmm. Canada. 
and you know, I think people—it's the gateway drug for people entering the extreme right—is to use this kind of idea of scientific racism or race IQ or race realism, whatever you know, kind of pretty pseudo intellectual words they want to put behind it. Uh, but it's a gateway drug to so many young people who are searching for answers in this fucked up, crazy world right now. Mm-hmm. That, uh, you know, they, you know, they make a pretty good argument. It's all bunk and it's all been, you know, uh, it's all been deemed junk science, but, uh, it's a pretty strong argument for people who are kind of searching for answers. And, and that was my beef. Uh, the fact that, you know, people like Sam, um, you know, they provide cover to people like this and in certain cases may even make some of the same claims themselves. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, I remember watching, uh, I think it was your Q and a with uh, Sam and his audience. And I just remember thinking, oh, my gosh, he really has no idea, like, what Sam's audience is like. Because you were very, like, openly and honestly talking about things like white privilege and things things that are so taboo in those circles. Like, when you uttered those words, I was like, oh, my God, he's going to piss <laughs> off so many people. And yeah. you did, sure enough. Oh, I did. And, I, you know, I've received lots of, uh, you know, pretty... Tense messages from people who disagreed with what I said, uh, you know, even though I provide evidence to back up my claims, you know, and I think people need to realize they live so much in this kind of internet culture that not all claims and not all evidence can be proven with a YouTube link or, you know, some kind of uh, screen grab on, on the internet. You know, these are, these are statements that I made based on conversations that I've had with people that I've worked with to help them disengage from far right groups with parents mm-hmm. uh, who've lost their, you know, sons and daughters, uh, sometimes multiple kids to people like Stefan Molino, mm-hmm. uh, who, you know, is one of these, uh, you know, very, um, alt light, uh, you know, kind of clandestine, um, you know, white nationalists who are, are, are really with their kind of pseudo intellectual talk, convincing young people to, to really get into this. And, and, uh, you know, I've never been afraid of calling it out. Uh, in fact, I've spent the last 20 years, uh, you know, helping people disengage and also trying to hold the leaders accountable for, for the fact that, you know, so many people vulnerable or not are being recruited into these movements. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, this is, this is kind of like how you talk about the gateway thing. Have you heard of like, people saying that there's no such thing as a gateway drug to more extreme ideologies. Like, how do you feel about statements like that? Well, you know, I think we're experiencing a lot of fear rhetoric coming from, you know, frankly, all sides right now, but also from the very top of, you know, our American government. And I think that those types of things play on the real fears and the real grievances of people and then, you know, kind of amplify them to blame the other. So I do believe that there are are gateways to to more, uh, you know, radical extremism. You know, my gateway was, uh, you know, feelings of abandonment as a kid Mm -hmm. uh, and then you know, searching for identity and community and purpose and not ever being able to find it. And then ultimately, you know, at 14 years old, when I was standing in an alley, uh, you know, kind of down on life, some man approached me and, and, and fulfilled those three very, you know, essential human needs for me. Mm-hmm. 
And it was easy for somebody who might feel marginalized, which a lot of young people do right now, uh, you know, living in, in kind of the age of the Internet where people live online and, and you know, may not have a lot of friends. A lot of people who are living with mental illness are being targeted by very savvy recruiters online with these kind of gateway drugs like, you know, hashtag it's okay to be white. Yeah. Uh, you know, those, of course, it's okay to be white. But we know that that is a specific propaganda. Yeah. Message that they're using to play on the fears of, of you know, middle class and lower class uh, and even upper class white males who feel uh, like something is being taken away from them as the world is finally equalizing. Yeah. And a lot of what you say actually rings true for me, like being an ex-Muslim who grew up in Saudi Arabia, uh, you know, I've had more experience speaking with like ex-Islamist extremists and just understanding the ideology from that perspective. Um, I'm not, you know, I wasn't raised in an extremely Islamic household. My parents are very like liberal, progressive Muslim. So, but I was raised in a theocracy. So I did see it around me. And a lot of what you talk about, the gateways and the feelings of alienation and search for identity, that seems to work in that other direction as well. That's how Islamists go about it. Oh, yeah. I mean, the parallels are striking. I mean, whether we're talking about, uh, you know, some sort of a jihadist extremist uh, group like ISIS or, uh, you know, a neo-Nazi group or, you know, white nationalist or alt-right or, or whatever, you know, fancy marketing term they've, they've labeled themselves, <laughs> um, you know, it, it really is the same. It's it's idealistic people. Uh, you know, I call them marginalized seekers, these, these folks who are on the fringes but are idealistic and want to, you know, change the world. They want to do good. And then they're fooled into thinking that whatever self-destructive uh, ideology they're brought into is actually a humanitarian cause mm -hmm. to save, you know, their race or their religion or, you yeah. know, to, to, to get rid of the infidels who want who want to destroy, you know, the, the purity of whatever it is that they think that they're fighting for. Um, you know, and they use fear to, to pull people in. And yeah. they also now are using really kind of uh, very savvy tactics uh, like this scientific racism. Uh, and, um, yeah, you know, there are a lot of there's a lot of uncertainty in the world right now. And, and frankly, if adults uh, and, and our leaders are pretty uncertain, uh, I can tell you that the average person and certainly the vulnerable young person, uh, you know, is, is uncertain right now. And they're searching for answers. And and the voices that are the loudest right now seem to be the extremes. Yes. They're the ones getting the most attention. Yeah, and that's really frightening and depressing. And also just their rebranding of, you know, extreme conservatism is so concerning to me, like how they water it down and, you know, call it the alt-right or the alt-light. And uh, as I've heard you say, they trade their boots for suits and right. get fashy haircuts. And, you know, they're not as obvious with the tattoos and Nazi flags anymore, even though they have their own new symbols and like, you know, ironic Nazi flags. Well, we, you know, 30 years ago, we, we kind of had this idea that, you know, as neo-Nazi skinheads with shaved heads and swastika tattoos, we were probably turning away the average American white racist that we wanted to recruit, frankly. Mm -hmm. So we said, you know, we need to look like them. We need to sound like them. So we started to encourage people to, you know, shed the edginess and, and adopt a more normalized look and even a more normalized language. You know, you can't go, uh, you know, saying you want to throw 
throw the Jews in the oven and convince a proud American, you know, World War II veteran uh, that he should join your side. So you start to talk about immigration. You start to mm-hmm. talk about, um, you know, the fact that blacks commit crimes and, and you, you know, you, you fudge the statistics to make it seem, uh, you know, more. And then you also play on feelings of pride. I mean, another gateway drug is, you know, like I mentioned earlier, the it's okay to be white. You know, 30 years ago, we did the same thing. We didn't call ourselves a white power group on the outside. We called ourselves a white pride group uh, that, mm-hmm. you know, was doing what we did, not because we hated anybody, but because we wanted to protect what we believed mm-hmm. in. Uh, and that was the outward mar- marketing message, you know, behind closed doors. It was all, you know, Nazi flags, Hitler salutes and, you know, N words and, and, you know, uh, talking about doing whatever. Um, so, you know, they're smart. They know what they're doing. They're, they operate like a business. Uh, and, you know, they know they need a marketing message that attracts the most people and it needs to be palatable. Yeah. Uh, but their core, you know, mission statement, uh, you know, is still those those nasty 14 words that the Nazis mm-hmm. like to use. Uh, we must secure the existence of our people and a future for white children. Which they had on a, like, a, they had a 14-word uh, title on a, what was it, on a government website, like, that started so, yeah. with... We must yeah, secure... I don't want to start a conspiracy theory. No, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, the DHS, the Department of Homeland Security website, which is still up, I think, as of today, it was yesterday anyway, has, uh, you know, a new story that was published in, I think, February of this year that very eerily kind of mimics those 14 words. The headline on the page is, we must secure, and, and I'm paraphrasing, we must secure our borders and protect our country from, you know, something. Yeah. But it was 14 words, and, you know, it, it was pretty you know, very eerily similar to the yeah. Nazi 14 words, you know, that David Lane came up with and, and uh, you know, the most uh, white nationalist Nazis and everybody kind of uses as their mantra. Yeah. Um, but, you know, uh, there was also a report today, too, that, you know, somebody from uh, a defense contractor, Northrop uh, Grumman, uh, you know, an employee there who has top secret security clearance uh, was found to be at the Charlottesville rally and other white nationalist rallies. So, you know, oh the, f- the fact that we may have trolls or people, you know, kind of in uh, these places that 30 years ago we wanted them to be. Yeah. Uh, is really no surprise. Yeah, and like someone who's calling them fine people, like running the country, right? Yeah, you know, uh, <laughs> very fine people on both sides. And, you know, at first, it's interesting, I know, because at first I really, really had a problem with that statement, as I think most people do. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, you know, to equate, you know, protesters uh, against, you know, to Nazis is, is obviously not in, on the same uh, playing field. However... Then I thought about it and I thought, well, you know what? I have to believe that there are very fine people on both sides. Oh, no. Otherwise, I would be denying myself, you know, the fact that I was able to transform and I would be denying the fact that I've actually helped people disengage from them since they've been to Charlottesville. But they're not fine in the current state they're in. They just have the potential to be fine. Yes, it is, uh, there is something inside of them that has the Sure. Potential. Yeah, I mean, I can agree with that, that, like, nobody is, you know, beyond reaching and beyond helping. But in their current state, marching with the tiki torches, I, I would disagree that they are fine Yeah, I, I'm not defending Trump's uh, statement. I think <laughs> his statement was, you know, was considering other factors, and I think he meant it differently than, than the way I'm, I'm putting it forth yeah. right now. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's, uh, it's really disappointing. It's disconcerting. 
disconcerting and frankly it's a little bit terrifying to to think that you know we have an administration that is very in line with you know white nationalist ideals that we have policies in place that you know are ripping uh, you know minority families from each other you know which is something that mimics exactly what we wanted to do 30 years ago mm-hmm. uh, it's really disturbing that you know uh, LGBTQ rights are being uh, stripped away that women's rights are, are being stripped away uh, you know uh, who knows what's going to happen if, if Roe versus Wade gets overturned I mean that yeah. that is that's such a that's such an important factor you know in our country for for half of our population yeah uh, you know all these things that we're seeing you know while I can't tell you that I've ever seen Trump or Stephen Miller or Steve Bannon or, or Gorka at a you know a Klan rally or anything like that I can tell you that a hell of a lot of the things that they're putting forth in fact most of them uh, if not all are really in line with the same you know national socialist white nationalist ideals that uh, that I had 30 years ago mm-hmm. you know so when I left Saudi Arabia I left religion I you know I got involved in the atheist scene the movement atheism online especially and then slowly slowly I started to realize that uh, uh, there's a lot of troubling talking points going on there under the guise of just you know simply criticizing religion you know it turns to discussions about immigration and then why should we have any more Muslims in our country and they're savages and well of course you know if you have any Muslims in there's a chance you're going to get some jihadis and it's just it's like never never mind the fact that we have you know probably you know a, a million or so potential domestic terrorists already living in our yeah. country that are that are white and yeah. that are racist and that are you know training in paramilitary style in some cases you know in deserts across America yeah uh, you know we've already got a, a terrorism problem within our borders so I don't buy into the whole oh well if we let them in you know what if one or two of them are you know end up being terrorists well you know we've got a bunch here and, and a lot of them them are the ones saying keep them out mm-hmm. yeah so eventually i saw through that you know because a lot of people do kind of swarm to falsely support ex-muslims and use them as this like uh token against muslims like oh look at this person they've left islam and they're able to criticize how bad it is and look at how bad their experiences was but not in a good faith way in which they care about the person but in a way in which they're using them to demonize people that look like them, to demonize other people possibly in similar situations that may also need to get out. Right. So... Yeah. There's so much, you know, I mean, an, an ex-Muslim is, is certainly not an anti-Muslim, but there are certainly some ex-Muslims who are. Oh, my God, you have no idea. This is a problem that I think hasn't really been fully addressed or even just the the what's coming out of the atheist scene and how that's overlapping with the alt-right and right. Uh, alt-light. It's it's so troubling. And Stefan Molyneux was a part of movement atheism. Right. Um, there's a couple other troubling people dave rubin who basically uses his platform to legitimize people like lauren southern and cernovich and um it's endless and you know sam harris funds people like dave rubin and he doesn't like to get questioned about his association or support for dave rubin people like rubin and he's uh praised ex-muslims like um there's one that i won't name but 
Someone Maj, <laughs> my, my, my friend Maj. Uh, yeah, you know, interesting there. I mean, you know, listen, Majid Nawaz was wronged, I believe, when he was put yeah, on the yeah, I agree. bus on her, you know, hate list. And, yeah. and I think that they recognize that. And everybody makes mistakes. I make mistakes. You make mistakes. Every single listener listening right now makes mistakes. And uh, however... Uh, one mistake does not uh, diminish the work of an organization that's been doing really amazing yes. things and, and been at the forefront, you know, along with other organizations fighting uh, against white supremacy. So, uh, you know, I'm glad that that case is done. Um, but, you know, here, here's my issue with, with uh, Maj is, you know, I, I think don't he's think a good he's guy. officially an ex-Muslim, by the way. But yeah, yeah. I, you know, I don't I don't know what he is, to be quite honest, because I think you're right. You know, some people do have have the, you know, the tendency to go from one extreme to another. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I know him, I've met him, I've spoken with him. Uh, you know, we've known each other probably for seven or eight years. We oh. met in 2011. And, uh, you know, his story is really similar to my story. Yeah. Uh, however, um, you know, he's made it a point to kind of be this ideologue to really, you know, kind of hate Again, and I want to make sure that you know we're clear. Hate is hate. Mm-hmm. Prejudice is prejudice. Uh, intolerance is intolerance. It doesn't matter where it comes from. Now, white supremacy exists, and and they're at the top of the you know of the pyramid when it comes to you know global control, and always have been. Uh, but that doesn't mean that hate can't come from other places. Oh, and I, yeah. you know, I I really find it sad, uh, you know, when people who have such an important story to tell and who can learn from their experiences and teach other people from their experiences actually choose to, you know, kind of dig their, their feet in and, 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 and kind of just not be moved again, knowing that, you know, they did that once and they were wrong once, you know, we need to be open to be flexible about our ideas and to grow and, uh, and not be so cemented in one place, uh, and create so many enemies. I mean, he's, he's got an important story to tell and I wish he would just focus on that rather Well, when he started off a few years, like in the earlier days, he was saying a lot of good stuff. And I think people were unfairly judging him. I used to be a big supporter and fan of his. But now in the past, I don't know, two to three years, especially this past year, he's been worryingly, I don't know, sliding further and further into some troubling Things. Well, I worry too because you know I, I do. Like I said, I believe in him and I believe in his story, and I think you know he he was set up on the right mission. But after getting so many attacks from people, and I know what this feels like because there, you know, are still people uh, twenty three years after I've left this movement, and, and despite all the work that I've done to you know try and dismantle it and, and help people disengage, I still get people on the left who say you know once a Nazi, always a Nazi, and and you can never change. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yep. No, it's it's you know, and I understand. You know, I I did some some awful things, uh, you know, in my youth and, and in my early adulthood, and I'll always be you know making amends for that, and I've committed myself to that. Uh, I just wish that we would look for solutions rather than uh, always looking for the people to blame. Uh, and you know, Maz has a lot of solutions. He you know, he's been doing this for a long time, uh, and. I, I think uh, he's had to defend himself so much that now he's conditioned himself to be on the attack. And, and I think that that's going to be counterproductive. 
It's also like I think the company you keep, right? If they are are all kind of spouting the same talking points, like you know James Demore was wronged and uh, Lauren Southern was wronged, and then those are the views that you surround yourself with. That's your echo chamber. That's what you come to see. I remember when Majid um, shared a Breitbart article to defend Milo Yiannopoulos uh, when that whole thing was going on with Leslie Jones. That was one of the first. Times I was horrified. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I don't know what's in his heart and what he's going through, and and you know why he's choosing to do the things he did. I just, you know, all I can do is hope that uh, you know that he finds who he is and, and decides to focus on what's most important, and maybe realizes that he's drifting a little bit too far to the extreme. And and uh, you know, as formers, I think we always have to check ourselves. For yeah. That myself included, you know, especially during these times, I want to make sure that I'm always focused on helping people and not just countering it because I, you know, there has to be uh, a safety net for folks who, you know, are kind of on the, on the fence and Mm -hmm. make sure we don't marginalize them by, by just spewing more, uh, you know, division. Right. And I mean, I understand like, uh, if, if you've had some very troubling experiences and I'm happy to like, give people chances like I once had a conversation with a former leader of uh, EDL Tommy Robinson I'm sure you've heard of him and you know that's when he was saying that he was de-radicalizing and he was working with Majid Nawaz and Quilliam and it seemed like he wanted to change for the better so you know I thought I'd you know extend a hand and just encourage him to come on over and let that stuff go. And I even talked to him like in a very friendly manner saying that, you know, sometimes the words you choose are very divisive. And he was very good at moderating what he needed to say for the audience at that time. Um, but then I quickly realized that he, he just <laughs> changes what he's saying, like according right. to who he's talking to, he doesn't really mean any of it. Right. And he's since been radicalized further, you know, like he's talked about white genocide theories and uh, yeah. retweeted white rights accounts and just talked about, I don't know, people that are not white, not belonging in London or something has a problem with the mayor. And, right. So many awful things. It's those gateways, you know, and then I think somebody like that who's, you know, driven by ego and control and and attention, you know, will, you know, always go to where, uh, you know, kind of the hype is. So it doesn't surprise me that Tommy Robinson is going more to, you know, the extreme right as Europe is going more to the extreme right and as more people are talking about it. You know, I'd be really interested in sitting down with him or having a conversation with him because I, you know, just knowing him from afar and and what he's been doing, you know, is really no different than like somebody like a Richard Spencer has gone, you know, or, you know, that direction. And, and, you know, I've had, you know, I believe I've made some, some headway, you know, with folks like that, just by listening, just by, you know, filtering out the noise of what they say and, and, you know, hearing what it is that's really broken about them. Yeah. Uh, and, and then finding like what out what kind of things are you talking about? You know, trauma is always an underlying factor for anybody who kind of goes to the extremes on anything, Mm -hmm, you know, whether mm -hmm. we're talking about joining a gang or joining, uh, you know, a neo-Nazi group or, you know, flying Syria to, to, you know, join ISIS. uh, There's always some underlying trauma and it can be abandonment, but it can be sexual abuse. It can Mm -hmm. be an identity crisis. It can be, you know, some form of a mental illness or a developmental disorder. It it can be, you know, having uh, 
seeing your father commit suicide at four, you know, whatever it is, I call them potholes, whatever those Mm -hmm. potholes are in your life's journey that you've hit and don't have the support that you need to kind of, you know, navigate around them or resolve those traumas, uh, they fester. And sometimes you get pretty detoured by those potholes. And there's always somebody there with an extreme message willing to take you in uh, when you can't find comfort somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I, I've spoken to Richard Spencer. I've, I've spent two hours with him in person in, in Montana. And, you know, I, I, I filtered out the noise of, you know, all the stuff that, frankly, I used to say when I was 14 years old that now sounds really just ridiculous coming out of an adult's <laughs> mouth. Uh, I can filter that stuff out because I used to say it and, I, and I'm able to tune in and, and maybe it's my superpower, but I can kind of hear the very silent uh, voids that are in their life. Uh, yeah. you know, Have you, you know. learned something about Richard Spencer? Like, Oh, I've learned a lot about him. Yeah. That I've learned he was, a lot about him. I don't know, went through something awful that yeah. turned him this way? Sure, I did. But, you know, again, that's something that I have to be able to keep personal. Of course, private. yeah, yeah. Um, otherwise, you know, if I alienate people like that, you know, how can people trust me? You know, building rapport and trust yeah. with with folks who are naturally paranoid and who consider you a traitor is, is the hardest thing. And if yeah. I can maintain that, then the rest is pretty easy, yeah. to be quite honest. I've worked with several of the, the leaders and, you know, uh, that you would know that, uh, you know, most people, I think, when they heard their names would know. And, and you know, they're they're not monsters. They're broken children. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, they may do monstrous things and they certainly need to be held accountable for that. And, and I'm glad you say that. Yeah. I mean, I always, I held myself accountable. I'm certainly going to hold other people accountable um, because there's no wiping away the slate unless uh, you're willing to do the hard work. Yeah. And I'm willing to do that hard work with people if they're committed to, to you know, making amends and, and yeah. really making a change. And I think it's great. Like what you're doing is, is amazing, I think. Uh, and I think there are certain people that are definitely able to do that kind of thing. But I think it becomes unfair when the expectation is from everyone to like, I don't know, go and hug a Nazi. Maybe they don't want to, you know, like maybe you don't want to hug someone that wants you eradicated or forcefully sterilized. So I find find those stances to be a little bit tone deaf, but I do understand that if you put the work in, it's very possible to bring someone out of hate like that. Yeah. Well, it's true. I mean, I, and I certainly would never advise somebody who is a potential victim to, you know, uh, to hug a Nazi, you know, I mean, safety is is an issue. Of course, Mm -hmm. you're dealing with people who are, you know, paranoid, who are angry, who, you know, are talking about being violent and have proven that they can be violent. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's certainly not that, but when, when I advise people to be, you know, empathetic and compassionate, I think we really should all do that to everybody all the time because frankly, these days we don't know who the Nazis are. We don't know who the white extremists are because Mm -hmm. they look like, uh, you know, the rest of us. Mm -hmm. So if we're, if we can just, you know, put it in our minds that we need to give compassion to the people that we think, you know, need it the least, uh, the chances are pretty good. They're the ones who need it the most. But how are Um, you say, for example, supposed to give compassion to someone who's like screaming at you to get out of their country? 
Well, I think the first step is is not to scream back uh, because that plays right into their hands. I mean, they're trying to provoke mm -hmm. uh, most of the time and to prove that whatever you know bullshit claims that they're making about being animals or invaders mm -hmm. or subhuman or whatever it is that they're saying, uh, you know, is always proven when we adopt the tactics that they use. So, you know, there are two things that extremists love. They love silence and they love violence. Mm -hmm. And if we're silent, you know, of course they grow because they can do whatever they want. Absolutely. You know, there's, there's no opposition. If we're, you know, quiet against this administration who's putting these racist policies in place, then, uh, you know, we're complicit. We have to be vocal. Uh, and if we're violent, we play right into their hands because they come, you know, they rally and they yeah. march and they say these things because they want to provoke people. Yeah. And that's why they go to liberal areas. That's why they go to Charlottesville. That's why they went to Berkeley. That's why, uh, you know, they, in the seventies and eighties marched in, in Skokie, uh, you know, a predominantly Jewish community in Illinois. Mm -hmm. Um, because when we attack them, um, it makes them the victims mm -hmm. and they use that. They yeah. say, do you see how our free speech is being taken away? Do you see how, you know, our rights are, are being diminished? Do you see how, you know, these animals attacked us and we, you know, didn't provoke it. So, you know, we have to be visible. We have to be vocal. We have to be vigilant, but we can't be violent. Mm -hmm. uh, so you don't buy into the, don't call them racist. Don't call them Nazis or you'll turn them more into Nazis. Well, I think we have to be careful. Oh, of course. So overuse the term, absolutely not. But yeah. like, for example, there's been an opposite reaction in the in the atheist scene where like there was a, a professor saying that guys who shot people at a white supremacist rally while sig heiling and holding a swastika flag, you cannot call them Nazis. Yeah, well, I, I would argue with that, that they are Nazis. I mean, I think that, you know, all evidence points to that. Um, and, you know, by association, even if they, they wouldn't call themselves a card-carrying national socialist, you know, if they're waving Nazi flags and, right. and you know, committing acts that are very in line with, you know, neo-Nazis, I, I think it's safe to say yeah. that you can call them Nazis. However, uh, you know, there's a difference between a racist and a Nazi. Uh -huh. And I, I want to make sure we don't diminish the yeah. term Nazi because that has such a powerful, yeah. uh, you know, connotation to it that, uh, if we start watering it down, it loses, it loses. Oh, I completely agree. Yeah. Um, that said, you know, a racist is a racist. And I think that if somebody is, you know, saying racist things, you know, uh, doing racist actions and, and in line with racist policies, they should be called out. I think that, you know, there's a way to do that in a non-aggressive way. Mm -hmm. You know, using a slur like racist is maybe not always the most effective. Is it thing a slur though, if it's accurate? Uh, no. Uh, but I, a pedophile doesn't like to be called a pedophile either. A racist doesn't like to be called a racist. Some of them don't even know or acknowledge the fact well, that they're Well, someone said that calling a white person a white person is a slur. So, I mean, they get very snowflakey when it's about yeah. their sensitivities, and then everyone else, immigrants, feminists, trans people, are supposed to put up with the most horrendous comments because, LOL, it's just a joke. Right, like illegal aliens or, you know. Oh, something. way worse than that. Savages yeah. and yeah, of mentally Animal. ill and, you know. <laughs> 
Yeah, I think, you know, some of the tactics that the left and well, well-intentioned people are adopting right now are, you know, maybe contributing to the problem or, or will in the future, you know, because we're becoming so sensitive right now. I think it's time we have an honest conversation, mm-hmm. uh, one, to define what America is for us now and what we want it to be, because, uh, you know, I don't know that we all agree on what that is anymore. Yeah, well, um, I'm Canadian, so. Well, <laughs> As you know, you are now our enemies because we alienated <laughs> you guys. Uh, you may see a lot of Americans become Canadians pretty soon. But, oh, um, yeah. Well, that's if we don't put up a wall first. Right. Well, I would blame you guys if you did. I and mean, then we would probably joking. pay for it, I'm sure. No, I'm you know, we're just living in interesting times where I think it's it's tough to have the the really important conversations because we are so sensitive and so raw right now. Mm-hmm. But I think white people are the ones that are the most sensitive and raw to it and don't necessarily have the right to be, uh, you know. We're being called out for things that we've done for centuries. Yeah. Uh, See, this is the kind of stuff you said in the Sam Harris Q&A that made me worry for how much hate you were going to (laughs) get. Yeah, it wouldn't have changed, you know, what I said anyway, even if I knew where I was going. Mm. But, you know... The fact that white folks are, are being, you know, are feeling very sensitive to, to reality being called out right now is kind of a, a symptom of, of privilege, right? You know, it's not that they're losing anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not that they're, you know, they're racist, uh, most people. Yeah. It's just that they're being kind of lumped into now what's, what's this new you know, category of, 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 uh, you know, subhuman, uh, you know, white folks have never, and I, and I saw an amazing, uh, up documentary, uh, uh, by a comedian, uh, whose name is Hannah and the special was called Nanette. And, uh, it really kind of hit home when she said, you know, white people are so sensitive right now because it's the first time in history that they've actually been named, you know, as a, as a subculture or as a, you know, as a subspecies of humanity, they were always at the top of the pyramid. Now white males, especially straight white males are being singled out. Oh, uh, so like, that's what you mean. Okay. Cause I'm like, just who's like naming Africa? them like subhumans? No, no, no. no, not subhuman, but part of this, you know, of subhumanity of this structure, African-Americans have always mm-hmm. been kind of singled out or Latinos or Jews yep. or Muslims now, you know, white, single white males have their own category. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it's uncomfortable for them to have this conversation because it's the first time that they've actually been uh, held to, you know, account for, for, you know, some of the things we've done in our history. Mm-hmm. That's not to diminish, you know, some of the, the positive things we've done, but, you know, it, we have to hold ourselves accountable for the fact that, you know, we've uh, suppressed women's rights to make an equal salary, to be able to vote until recently, you know, uh, blacks to to be free. I mean, white white males have, have really uh, caused some of the most of the major problems in the history of the world. And, and, you know, if I said something like that, I'd get the inevitable. But what about Islam? Right. Well, like, <laughs> that's what I get no matter what. Every group, every community has its problems and echoes for every religion and every extremist group and every, uh, you know, even, uh, you know, atheist group, every, every community, um, has to struggle with growth. 
and religious communities, frankly, have not had that flexibility uh, over the centuries. They've, you know, tried to maintain as traditional as possible. And sometimes, you know, as the world grows around them, their views become more intolerant. So I think it's, you know, it's time for faith leaders. It's time for everybody to really reassess and self-reflect do our values fit in with, you know, the values of the world today? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And if they don't, I think it's time that we need to adjust. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I'm on board with that. But I mean, I th- as you said, the atheist movement has to reflect on that too, right? It's It's sure. been kind of like a, a doubly disappointing thing to leave a religion and then find a community online where I find, oh my gosh, there's other people like me and then find that these people are a lot of them, especially the prominent ones are kind of going towards the uh, misogyny, which I perceived in religion, the, I don't know, like the trans hate and other anti-left talking points that kind of lead in that same direction. And it's very sad to see so many ex-Muslims embrace Jordan Peterson, for example, because to me, he sounds like a Salafist mullah. Exactly. Mm. You know, with his, I don't know if men and women can work together, women wearing lipstick and not wanting to be harassed at work are hypocrites. I mean, this is stuff that you would hear on an Islamic Salafist TV show. Right. So to see so many atheists like rallying behind this guy just because he hates the left is absurd. And now I see Islamists picking up on his talking points and Islamists sort of crossing over with MRAs too. Even though they have like a lot of white nationalist uh, Muslim hate as well, the the Islamists who love the MRA talking points are willing to overlook that just so that they can sort of cite them as these uh, more polished Western people who are also saying that marital rape isn't a thing. You know what I'm saying? Well, I'm glad you brought out, uh, you know, the men's rights groups, because I think that there's so much crossover and that's also, you know, a gateway uh, drug into extremism uh, of all forms, Um, you know, because and what you said about the atheist community and, you know, I'm not. I'm not a member of that community. I don't, you know, I can't say with experience that I've seen it, but I trust your opinion of it. Anytime you create kind of this exclusive community, um, there's always this kind of drive, this natural drive to become uh, isolated. And when you become isolated, that, that kind of pits you against the other. So, you know, while atheism was a place where people who didn't want to subscribe to religion could enjoy a community, now mm-hmm. it's become kind of a religion unto its own mm-hmm. that's intolerant of other religions. And that's, you know, not what I think, you know, true atheism is. And I'm wrong. People are going to say there's no such thing as true atheism. It's just a lack of belief in God, which is fine. But this has developed, the online movement has developed with its own distinct culture, its own ideology, its own tribalism, its own talking points. It's like they have a script, you know. And, of course, these podcasters on the top are like gospel, Right. You cannot challenge or criticize. Um, you cannot blaspheme against Sam Harris even mildly. So, <laughs> oh, I, trust me, I can relate to that because I've seen you know kind of the brunt of of what happens when you do criticize and and you know I, I think again to go back to this whole idea of the search for identity, community, and purpose, you know. 
people who are fanatics about anything mm-hmm. have, have kind of, you know, thrown all their chips into the pile for their identity, community, and purpose into that one idea. And that makes them, you know, kind of inherently intolerant of any other ideas. Because if you are against their ideas, you are against them as a, as a being, as, uh, you know, a, a tribe, and, and as a, a mission. And that's not the case, right? You can criticize things without being, you know, against it. You can, mm-hmm. you can be, you can, uh, speak against certain fundamentalist aspects of yeah. religion and Christianity and Islam without being, you know, an anti-Christian or an anti-Muslim. Absolutely. Which is, I, I think where we should all be trying to go as right. atheists and humanists. And this also rings true for the part where you said that people who go into extremes, they're, they're, kind of conned into believing that they're doing good for their cause. And among so many atheists, I see like humanist on their bio and it's like, they don't know what that means because their entire Twitter timeline is like nothing but hate against people of color, talking about black on black crime, talking about immigration being bad. And it's like, I don't understand that kind of humanism. No, it's not humanism. Yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, just like Sam Harris's bubble and just like Jordan Peterson's bubble and, and sometimes they cross over and just yeah. like the atheist bubble or the white nationalist, you know, it becomes a safe place for people to kind of gravitate towards those extremes. So it doesn't surprise me that you see a lot of crossover between atheism and, and you know, men's rights or men's rights and white nationalism or, uh, you know, the incel, the involuntary mm-hmm. celibate, uh, you know, movement and, and men's rights. Uh, so, you know, people who are, 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 who need that stamp of approval from an exclusive group tend to be searching because there are voids in their life and those voids in their life shut them off to other people because they've been conditioned they've conditioned themselves, frankly, to do that. Uh, so, you know, I, I think we need to be careful about how we, you know, where we embed ourselves, uh, and, and to make sure that we're not fully going from one bubble of intolerance into another mm-hmm. bubble of intolerance with, you know, a good intention of, of trying to do the right thing. You know, there are a lot of people who, you know, were on the far left who are now on the far right. There are a lot of people who were on the far right who are now on the far left. And the reality is we really kind of need to live in the middle and be, you know, mobile, uh, to, to whatever is important to us and to uphold whatever values we have and, and, and not do that to diminish other people. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, uh, a lot of that is just trying to gain an understanding of the bigger picture, right? So what you may pick up on because you're so well versed in white nationalist, white supremacist dog whistles, you may pick up on the slightest talking point, whereas other people will see it as fairly benign and not understand why you're sounding the alarm for something like hashtag it's okay to be white, but you know where that's going and where that's coming from. Similarly, that's how I feel like um, the atheist scene and Sam Harris's audience did not pick up on the things that you probably picked up on. They literally just didn't understand because... I see even Sam, he will not notice 
racism or be bothered by racism um, unless it's like the most overt kind, racism or bigotry, right? right? And that's a very common thing in the rational skeptic community is like it has to be very, very obvious. And it's like there a lot of them are waiting for racists to self-identify as racist. Otherwise, you can't call them racist right. or identify them as racist. And, and the, those standards would not apply to Islamists at all. So it's that right. double standard as well. It's very frustrating. Like, I don't know if you've kind of noticed a pattern like Sam recently compared Salon and Vox journalists to having the moral and intellectual integrity of uh, the guy in the hood, you know? Yeah. If somebody made a comparison like that about him, he would be so upset. Well, I mean, he's, he's clearly, you know, very hypocritical. I mean, he censored my podcast when he, you know, railed against, uh, you know, that happening with the Ezra Klein, uh, you know, interview, I believe. And, you know, cut out parts of what he said in that one of what I said. Yeah. He, no, of what, no, of what Ezra, did they, did Ezra cut out parts of what Sam said on the bell curve discussion? Is that what? I'm not sure exactly of the circumstances, but I know that Sam was talking about censorship and, and, and really speaking out against it and that he felt he was censored somehow. And, and maybe I have this completely wrong because I haven't listened to it. But, uh, you know, oh, it just you should very, listen. It's very it, interesting. It seems very hypocritical that somebody <laughs> who is, is, you know, wants to get all the facts uh, then censors somebody who yeah. you know, provides them. And just because he doesn't uh, just because he doesn't like people that he's associated with being called out. Yeah. Uh, you know, but here's the thing, you know, I understand that we need to see evidence of things before we make claims. But the goal of, of these people, the goal of these, you know, savvy recruiters, propagandists is not to be overt. It mm-hmm. is to be very vague and to shroud whatever claims there's, you know, they're making in to, to have some escape route if they need it. So they get very, very close to the line. They've gotten to be very good at that. Uh, you know, we, some people call, uh, you know, propaganda marketing. It's the same thing. You know, marketers uh, and ad agencies do the same thing. So it doesn't surprise me that, you know, people like Sam are saying, well, he's not an overt racist, so he's not a racist. But the thing is, is it is their job to not be an overt racist, to just, you know, kind of uh, put those sort of ideas the new- out there and not be, you know, pegged as it. Yeah, racism is going to evolve, and the newer racism is much more polished, much more contained, and not as overt, and that's why it's more successful right now, you know? So, and then also, when he was condemning, like, the Charlottesville rally, he firstly had to, had to condemn all identity politics first, and then say that white identity politics is the most detestable of all, or something like that. So, it just... It just boggles my mind. Like, why in that situation do you have to condemn all identity politics? Because if you listen to him, that involves things like BLM and, you know, other minorities fighting for rights. That's not comparable to what happened at Charlottesville. Identity politics, you know, for minorities asking for rights and and fighting for rights is not the same as white supremacist, you know, politics, which, you know, they would consider identity politics and not give it that name. Right. If Uh, you're discriminated against based on your identity, you're going to have to like fight for your identity. And they don't have a problem with like ex-Muslim identity politics because that's very convenient to use against Islam. Right. So well, a lot of hypocrisy. Yeah. 
There is, uh, you know, and I'm glad that there are people that are willing to talk frankly about it. And I'm glad that we had this conversation. Well, I'm going to get a lot of hate for it. Uh, you know, <laughs> and, and I will too, but you know what, frankly, that means we're doing our job. We're, we're touching the right nerves and, and I wouldn't speak dishonestly, even if I had to, yeah. uh, if given the chance. So, you know, it is what it is. Uh, unfortunately people like me, uh, have had experience in these movements. We know how to spot these things. Mm-hmm. And, and for those that are committed to to not letting it happen to another generation of vulnerable young people you know it's our responsibility to call it how we see it and sometimes it's it's not going to make people happy and sometimes it's going to you know ruffle some feathers of people who don't see it the exact same way but you know i think in time um you know, I'm on the right side of history. You're on the right side of history. And they'll hopefully come to realize their mistakes. Let's hope so. I mean, I just did some basic research on the Molyneux thing. And I, I mean, I've seen plenty of him being racist anyways. But there was a video that he did call about predatory immigrants, first of all, where he starts talking about how the Germans were in danger of being taken over by what they perceived to be Jewish-led communism. And right. Jewish-led communism had wiped out tens of millions Millions of white Christians in Russia, and they weren't just afraid of the same thing happening to them. So he just framed it as, as like a, a wild overreaction. Like that's you could pull that straight from the pages of Mein Kampf. I mean, right? That is, that is that is about calling, uh, you know. <laughs> Uh, basically calling people parasites who, who, you know, have come to invade a country, steal its resources, capitalize on yeah. the citizens while oppressing them. And we need to, you know, cut this cancer out. Yeah. It's the same thing. I mean, it's, it, he's putting words that are more palatable behind it. And, and, and uh, as you said, he, you also, I mean, you said he toes the line, right? So I just, right. I don't understand why it was so controversial. And if he wanted to cover his basis, Sam could have just put in like a note, uh, like a little audio clip in the beginning that these views don't reflect mine. And right. that's that, right? Well, because, because after I provided the evidence, uh, to Sam or to, uh, to Sam about Molino's, uh, you know, towing the line, which is exactly what I said in the podcast. I never said he mm-hmm. was a Holocaust denier. I said, he's a Holocaust denier or he's very, very close to towing the line to it because he knows how, how not to step over it. I think we're my, we're pretty close. To I have my, your, I have your exact uh, yeah. quote here. Now, Stefan Molyneux is a name that I know very well because a significant number of parents who have reached out to me have lost their children to his ideology. And he's now a pretty rabid white nationalist denying the Holocaust or coming very close to it. Right. You know, so yeah. You and I provided this evidence. Yeah. And, and then Sam, uh, you know, was threatened with a, lo- you know, with a lawsuit, a defamation lawsuit by Molino. Yeah. He, Sam actually sent me the, the document and I told Sam, here's the evidence. I provided him a long email list with links to videos, with conversation, with screen grabs. Uh, and then he had a conversation with Stefan on the phone and he decided that he, you know, uh, he, you know, he cozied up to him, frankly, uh, and decided he was going to republish our podcast and cut out the parts where I spoke about him. And it's Uh, funny because he cut out a part where he said Molyneux was racist himself. Exactly. So, I mean, that's different from your words, not, you know, him not being familiar with whatever you're saying. He himself said Molyneux was racist and then he cut that out, which was strange. Yeah, he's being very disingenuous and, and frankly, he's lying about 
you know, some parts of the interaction. Uh, I, I spoke to, I spoke to Sam about this before he published that podcast and I urged him to not be complicit, uh, with people that he was covering for. And, and he decided he was going to cover, you know, for white nationalist recruiters who, I don't know that they would, that Stefan Molyneux, if you asked him if he was, you know, alt-right or a white nationalist would disagree with that. Um, <laughs> he might, he might. He, he might, but, you know, again, the things he says, the things he puts out are evidence that he is very in line with that. Oh, yeah. So it's, it was really, you know, I think disappointing for me uh, because I thought, you know, while I don't agree with the things that Sam says, I thought he had a little bit more integrity than uh, that. And that, but uh, you know, it seems pretty clear, you know, why he did it and, and who he's aligned with. Yeah, and I've tried to reach out to Sam on this kind of thing before. Like he did a podcast with uh, Douglas Murray. I don't know if you're familiar with him, British anti-immigrant, yeah. anti-Muslim guy, who Sam says is impeccable. Who Sam yeah. himself has uh, lectured on associating with Molyneux. Um, but I mean, this guy puts out like clips of him in the news like saying that we can't even take in the most you know assimilated uh, England loving Muslim immigrants because their future children could grow up to be jihadists yeah. and and he just and he just has so many he worried about London being not white enough anymore and uh, diversity becoming too much and I asked Sam about this on my podcast and Sam just had a like a weak response not to condemn it but something like oh but you know if other people are gonna do identity politics then so will white people or something like that right. It's been yeah. so disappointing. I've tried to reach out to him a few times to get him not to cover for this kind of stuff, but it doesn't work. Well, hopefully after after this podcast he'll he'll get to hear this and and hopefully he'll talk to you because I think, you know, I, I think he needs to be held to account for, you know, some of his actions not really falling in line with some of his words and and you know, the more you surround yourself with people uh, that are kind of part of that sphere, the more people are going to associate you with that. Yeah. Uh, the same way that, you know, Jordan Peterson is making claims, uh, you, you know, misogynistic, sexist claims, mm -hmm. talking about gender pronouns and, and you know, uh, not, uh, you know, not really being tolerant to, to the LGBTQ community and, and human rights, frankly. If Linda Sarsour associated with some sort of mullah that said the kind of things that Jordan Peterson says, I tell you the entire atheist community would be vocally, vocally calling that out. But when it happens within our own community and people are associating with Jordan Peterson, people are not really taking a vocal stance. Right. Well, and Jordan also has, you know, uh, probably, you know, one of the top books in America right now. Uh, and yeah. You know, as long as he has that type of power, that control, that attention, I suspect he's not going to, you know, he's, he's going to continue to down the path that he's on and he's going to continue talking about uh, these things that are drawing people into more hateful movements that are making us more divisive, that yeah. are creating this tension, uh, you know, in this kind of intellectual skeptic community. Yeah with the real world, that's gonna, that's really gonna stunt, uh, you know, any growth uh, that's possible. Mm -hmm. um, and I worry about that. You know, I was just at Aspen Ideas Festival, uh, you know, speaking a couple of times last week. And, and before I was there, Jordan Peterson was giving a talk. And I mean, we're, we're now putting 
people into very, uh, you know, kind of mainstream situations yeah. that have these very dangerous uh, ideas that are gateway drugs to, you know, even further, uh, you know, violence and, and, and extremism. So, you know, I think we should be concerned. I mean, if enough people are buying, you know, a book and, and, and kind of aligning themselves to those thoughts, uh, we are creating uh, the recipe for an extremist environment down the road. Mm-hmm. So what's the way forward? How do we... <laughs> well... That's a tough question. You know, there's no black and white answer to that. I think, uh, you know, parents uh, need to be more vulnerable with their children so that their children can be more vulnerable with them. Uh, I think teachers need to do the same with their students. I think people like us uh, need to continue to talk about our experiences and, and, you know, and be genuine and sincere about what we've learned and not have an agenda. I think that we need to vote. I think we need to run for office. I think we need to uh, Despite the connections and the tensions that our political establishments have, I think as as people, we need to figure out a way to connect with each other and find a middle ground. And that doesn't mean appeasing racists. That means holding them accountable, mm-hmm. but also trying to find ways to look beyond that, to pull them away from that if we can connect in other ways, because I do really think that empathy uh, is lacking and that it's a, it's the strongest Mm -hmm. tool that we have to, to really, you know, stop hating each other. If we can just realize that there are so many more things that we have in common and that we need each other for, uh, then things that separate us and make us different. uh, That's the only time we're really going to, to learn to move forward together. Um, you know. Yeah. So. And so before I let you go, I just wanted to ask you about one last thing. You're starting a prison pen pal program that I saw on Twitter. Yeah. You know, it was just an idea that kind of came to me. And, you know, so many times, almost every time that I've worked with somebody to disengage from an extremist group, they tell me that it was the compassion that they received from the people they least deserved it Mm -hmm. from that really kind of helped them make their transformation. And this kind of goes back to our earlier conversation about, you know, is it really, you know, the responsibility of people of color or, you know, religions, uh, you know, uh, that are hated to be the ones to provide compassion. Uh, and this is a way to do that. Uh, and keeping kind of, you know, a safe distance is I've asked people if they want to write kind of, you know, unprovoked to white supremacists who are in prison. Mm -hmm. Uh, They have kind of a captive audience to be uh, honest and compassionate and and, uh, have real conversations with some really ugly people. Mm -hmm. And the response that I, just on a whim, the response that I got is overwhelming. I think within the last 48 hours, I've had over 50 people uh, sign up, most of uh, which are people of color or Jewish. Can people sign up from outside of America or... Sure. Yeah. So I think what will happen is just to maintain that, you know, safety and anonymity is all letters will come through my organization, the Free Radicals Project, and we'll send them to the prisoners. And if the prisoners write back, we'll send them to, to the folks to act as they go between. So that means anybody from anywhere in the world can write and uh, or email, you know, just a letter to us. But what I would urge them to do is is uh, is sign up on a forum and I'm happy to send you that link so you can yeah, post the podcast. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I found that so fascinating and you know interesting and uh having the potential to do a lot of good so that's why i wanted to bring it up i appreciate that Ina. thank you yeah thank you so much again for coming on and chatting with me um it was an absolute pleasure to talk to you and hopefully we'll talk again likewise thank you so much and, and keep fighting the good fight yeah you too thanks bye bye 
Thanks for listening to another episode of Polite Conversations. You can support this podcast by sharing the shit out of it, making some noise about it, or contributing via Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash nice mangoes. No Ian mangoes. Also, you can follow me on Twitter at nice mangoes. If you want to make a one-time donation instead of a monthly Patreon one, you can do so via PayPal. NiceMangoes.blog at gmail.com. Remember, no Ian Mangoes. If you've got an interesting story and would potentially like to be a guest, you can email me there too. A special thanks to Dylan Beck for theme music, sound, and production help. 